Welcome to the Hills Baptist Podcast. We're so glad you're joining us as we see Jesus glorified, lives transformed and hope revealed in the Adelaide Hills and beyond. We hope you enjoy this message. We are in the book of Joshua. We're beginning a brand new series on the book of Joshua. Uh, We're going to work our way through this book. God's got some great things that He wants to show us. Uh, It's been a little bit since we've done a long series where we've just gnawed into one book for a while and I cannot wait for what God is going to teach us. I know it's cold. Let's stand to our feet. Winter is approaching us. It's time for people to start wearing beanies in church and bringing their rugs and all of that stuff. It's a good excuse to come and sit right at the front and get near each other and get warm. Let's pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You that You have spoken and that You continue to speak. And Lord, we ask this morning that You would speak powerfully into our lives, that You would take uh, what You put upon my heart and that You would just minister to each person here uniquely where they're at, that Your Word would do what only Your Word can do and bring transformation. Uh, There's no words of eloquence that I can bring that have any substance or value or worth, only what You speak. So speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. In Jesus' Name and all God's children said, Amen. Amen. So as we begin, I wanna preach this morning. Sorry about that, Adzi. This morning, the, the title of this sermon is Piñatas or Promises. Choose this day, Piñatas or Promises. Has anyone made the mistake? of having a children's birthday party, a young children's birthday party, that over there, and using one of these. Anyone made that that cataclysmic error in having a party with three-year-olds or four-year-olds and thinking a piñata would be a fantastic idea? Anybody? Hands up, anyone want to care to admit that? So here's the thing about these piñatas, especially, you know, this one, this Kmart one that we everyone loves to buy, is you think it's going to be a good idea and you think that by gathering a bunch of three-year-olds and putting a cricket bat or a cricket stump or something like that in their hand and lining them up behind a piñata hanging from a piece of string from a tree or a clothesline or one of those things is going to be great fun and really helpful. Very quickly what you realise is that three-year-olds holding a cricket stump or a cricket bat or a baseball bat, not so good, right? what's likely to happen is, is not victory, but chaos. Maybe some blood lips and broken bones. And they're lining up. And then you quickly realise that even though you put them in a line and expect them just to do what you've told them to do, that doesn't happen. You say, no one's allowed past this line. Person swinging the back, come up here. And what happens? Come on, somebody, what happens? They all just get, they're all around there wanting to do it. And then the first couple of kids, here's the piñata, the first couple will come along and it's just this gentle little, you think, oh, well done, Jimmy, go to the end of the line. The next one comes up. Oh, good on you, mate, go to the end of the line. And you're sitting there going, this thing's never, ever going to break. 
This is never coming down. And then someone gets up there and gives the big swing and of course they hit the string. Amen? And then the pinata falls out of the tree and then dad's got to try and fix it. We had one party where I got uh, like a weight training resistance band so that it wouldn't break anymore and hooked it up and held it to the clothesline. There it is bouncing around. Eventually, a big brother or a dad or a mum comes along and thinks, this is enough, we've been at this for 20 minutes, picks up the cricket bat, goes slam, and then what happens? Finally, you get a crack. Finally, it will break. And lollies go pouring onto the ground. That also is a bad thing to have happen at a children's birthday party. Are you with me? Because the order that you work so hard to achieve in children lining up and just doing what you told them to do, all goes mental. What happens? Children, even the neighbours' children, it seems, children from everywhere, just flock from all over the place. And they just swoop in like Gary Ablett Jr. in the middle of a pack, just swooping up the footy. They're picking up lollies and it's like this endless number of lollies and they're all running and shouting, ah, like going around and it's complete and utter chaos. So what do we have to do? We have to bring everyone back in don't eat that, don't eat that. Put them all back in. They sit in a circle and then one by one, divide the lollies, yeah? So that everyone gets something so that no one misses out. And then you think, why did I do that? And then you do the exact same thing the next year. (laughs) Anybody with me? It's so easy to make the exact same mistake with reading the book of Joshua. We can read Joshua like a pinata party. We can read Joshua like it's just this matter of lining everyone up, getting everyone to do the right thing, finally try and conquer the inconquerable pinata that you're like, there's no way that these children, the children of Israel could possibly conquer a city with walls around it. There's no way that they can conquer Canaan. And then somehow, miraculously, by the grace of God, they conquer it. And then you spend half of the book dividing the spoils. And as you read Joshua, you can make this mistake. You can read it at a surface level and you go, that's all it is. It's a glorified pinata party. It's this story of conquering the inconquerable and dividing the spoils. Done, finished. Let's go and read Song of Solomon's because it's much more interesting. That's the mistake we far too often make with this stunning book that we are about to approach. But let me tell you something. There is within this text so much more than the surface level historical narrative of a child or children of God conquering the inconquerable and dividing the spoils. As you read this, as we read this, as we study this for the next, I don't know how long it's gonna be, at least 10 weeks probably. As we study this, what you're gonna see is within the victories, within the failures, within the person of Joshua himself, within the the land that they inherit, within all of the things that we are gonna encounter are actually, is actually this, this message of God. It's these God establishing monuments of remembrance. God is establishing monuments 
of remembrance so that the people of Israel and the generations to come, generation after generation after generation would forget not the Lord and all His benefits. So that the generation of Israel would look back and realise they're not the ones who conquered the inconquerable. But actually there was another who had to come to bring it down. It is a message, it is a powerful message over and over and over again in the Scriptures that God does a work and then He establishes a monument to say, remember, don't forget. Don't forget to remember what I have done. Why? So that you would choose to follow me. Because as you inherit the land, as you step into the promises that I have given you, you are going to be tempted to believe that you are the one who did the work. Moses said the same thing in the book of Deuteronomy. You will be tempted to believe that you are the one by the power of your own hand who made it happen and you will forget the Lord and you will forget the Lord and all of His benefits and all of His blessings. And so hidden in the pages of Joshua are monuments of remembrance that the people of Israel for generation after generation would look upon these monuments and go, the Lord did that. We're gonna see a pile of stones taken from the middle of the Jordan River. We're gonna see the city of Jericho left as a heap of rubble. We're gonna see the red rag at Rahab's. You're gonna see a pile of stones heaped over a man called Achan. Over and over again, monuments of remembrance to draw us deeper into who God is that we might choose life. And they're monuments not just for the people of Israel, they are monuments for us here, right now, 2022 in a school gymnasium in Verdun that we would remember. We do Anzac Day and everyone says, lest we forget. And it's turned into a big thing. This book serves the same purpose when the people of Israel read this, if they were to, this is what they're saying, lest we forget. Remember the Lord. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm so excited about this. Here's what we're gonna do. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna look at all these different moments in the book of Joshua. And as we look at all the different monuments, uh, all these different moments, we're gonna find the monuments. We're gonna find the the pillars that the Lord has left that we would remember. And each one is gonna present us with a choice. Choose this day. As I said in that video, Joshua standing at the end of his days, he actually just repeats what Moses said at the end of his. Moses stood before Israel as his life was coming to an end. And he said to them, see I lay before you this day, blessing and a curse. And then he says, choose life that you might live. Now here's Joshua at the end of his days, standing before the same people of Israel after they had crossed the Jordan and inherited the land. At the end of his days, looking back on all these moments and all the monuments that God has left, pointing to each one of them, he says, choose this day.
who you will follow. God has chosen you. Look around you. God has chosen you. He has appointed you. He has delivered you. He has blessed you. He has come through for you time and time and time again. Now you choose to respond. And I love that he gets to the end and he says, as for me and my house, he's like, hey, you guys get to make your decision. It's your choice. But everything I see, all these moments that I've walked through where God has been faithful, as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. My prayer in this series is that we would do the same. That we would stand there and we would say, as for me and my house, and we draw a line in the sand, that this would be a line in the sand moment for Hills Baptist Church where each person says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is that good? I'm so excited. So let's get into it. We're going to Joshua chapter one. Who's excited for Joshua chapter one? Come on, somebody. Who's excited for Joshua one? All right, Joshua one, verse one. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, pause. So you all thought we were going to strong and courageous today. You're like, Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. I'm excited for strong and courageous. I got stuck at verse one. So we're gonna get stuck at verse one. You're gonna have to wait till next week. Now, next week, we're gonna be super blessed. We've got Pastor Danny Guglamucci coming and he's gonna be preaching on Joshua 1. I am pumped for the word he is gonna bring. But to be honest, I'm more pumped about the word God's about to bring right here, right now. Joshua 1 verse 1, the Lord said to, the Lord, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid. There's a couple of things right here in this moment before the call, before the call of Joshua, before the call to be strong and courageous, there is a monument that we are supposed to hold on to. There is something in this first verse that we are supposed to look at and go, oh, wow. Right there, something that is tangible that we're supposed to remember. And it comes in the form of a name and in the nature of the one who bears that name. Joshua, son of Nun. Joshua, do you know what Joshua means in Hebrew? It means Yahweh saves. It is the Hebrew word Yeshua. Everyone say Yeshua. And it literally means the Lord saves, Yahweh saves. Remember friends, Israel's reading this. The children of Israel are reading this after the fact. Joshua has lived his life, he has died. Someone generations from now are reading this. We generations are reading this. We're supposed to look at it and go, this book is not just about a man called Joshua. This book is about a promise that the Lord saves that Joshua is gonna be a great man who's gonna do great things, but it is not he who saves, it is Yahweh who does the work. This is a promise that Yeshua saves. And in that moment right there, something for the people of God should trigger because Yeshua is actually the exact same Hebrew name for Jesus. That Jesus is Yeshua. Come on, someone. 
And so we need to understand right at the beginning, this is setting a precedent. It's giving us a promise. It's giving us a monument to hold on to that it's Yahweh who saves. But actually that this thing, this person is what we would call a messianic type. And a messianic type is is a real person in a real place. It's someone who really did something, who really lived, but they have their life carries a prophetic echo, let's call it. Their life carries a prophetic echo and it's a prophetic echo revealed in the things that they do, but also revealed in the things that they don't do that they were called to do. In that Joshua brings Israel into the promised land. There's a prophetic echo that the Christ, the Messiah is gonna come and bring the people of God into the promise of God, the promise given to Abraham. But Joshua himself, he can't deliver the whole land because as its life is a type, it's a prophetic echo saying, yeah, Josh, God does great things through Joshua for the people of Israel, friends, but there is one who is greater, Yahweh saves. There is a Yeshua coming who will fulfil the promise in its entirety for the people of God, fulfilling the promise to Abraham for all eternity and all time. And as we read this and we know the story and we know the ups and the downs and we know that they don't step into all the land, we're supposed to go, wow. There's another one coming. Yeshua, Yahweh saves. So the Lord says to Yeshua, Moses' aid, and we hear that name. And we go, it's God's work. It's God who does the work in the pages that are unfold, the pages of our lives and the future of Israel and humanity. It is the Lord who saves. It is the Lord who comes to redeem His people, not you or I. We are not Joshua, we are Israel. And there's much we can learn from Joshua, much that can be applied to our lives, but the fundamental premise is we need to realise that we need saving and it is the Lord who saves. There is a name that causes us to remember, which should cause us to fall on our knees and be like, thank you, Lord, for your saving grace and your saving mercy, for I was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. And it's in the first verse of Joshua 1. But there's more because it's Joshua, son of Nun. And then it says something really weird. It says, Moses' aid. Now, when I read the word aid and I think of Moses' aid, my mind says, well, Moses was old. How do we think of someone who's someone's aid or assistant or helper? In this world, it's kind of like, well, Moses, it must be there, you know, and he's walking cane, like Joshua needs to help him get places and do things. But if you read the Bible, you know the promise that the Bible tells us that Moses died at 120 and the Bible tells us that the light did not leave his eyes, nor did his vitality depart from him. Which means at 120 years old, we, we can't forget that Moses climbed a mountain to die. He didn't need an aid. Moses was strong. He was strong in his mind. He was strong in his spirit. He was strong physically. He didn't need an aid. 
So what's with Joshua? Why does it say aid? And here's where it begins to get really good. That Hebrew word for aid, can we put this up there? Is the Hebrew word shorath. Everyone say shorath. And what it literally means is minister. Oh, isn't that good? When we read aid, we think of a cripple. When we read minister, we think of someone who's waiting upon someone else, someone who is serving. We think of a disciple. Joshua was Moses' servant, was Moses' right-hand person, was the one who was with Moses throughout all of Israel's wanderings. Joshua, Moses' aid. And this speaks, friends, not just to the name that we're supposed to remember, but to the nature. Let me show you a couple of things because here's what it means for us. We've got to look we got to look at this. What does this mean in this nature? Let's unpack it a little bit. Firstly, I want you to look at the history. The history. In Numbers 32, the Bible tells us that because of the whole issue with the spies in the, in the land, that only Caleb and Joshua, Caleb and Joshua, the only two people over the age of 20 who were allowed to enter the promised land, Right? Which means an entire generation had passed away and there's only Joshua and Caleb and then people much younger. The only people who entered the promised land. That's the history, which means as Joshua is being written, as Joshua 1 is being written and they're reminding us that he was Moses' aid, there is an entire group of people who know nothing of Egypt. They know nothing of what God, they did not experience at first hand. But Joshua did. Joshua knew what it was to be enslaved in Egypt. Joshua knew what it was to see Moses come along and speak to the people and say, God's gonna deliver us and then see more oppression heaped upon him. Joshua knew what it was for the leaders of Israel to get angry at Moses and say, you're just causing us more and more trouble. Why are you doing this? Joshua knew what it was to see the hand of God come upon the greatest nation on earth and completely obliterated through plague after plague after plague. Joshua knew what it was for the, the land of the Egyptians to be dark and for the land of the, the Israelites to be light. He knew what it was to see the hand of God split literally the Red Sea and walk through it. He knew what it was to see manna fall from heaven for the very first time, to see quail come for the very first time, to see water flow out of a rock for the very first time. If you're born in the desert and all you've known is water coming from a rock, you probably assume that's how water comes to us. Yes, we've all grown up with taps. We just think water comes out of a tap. Imagine growing up where water didn't come out of a tap. The first time you see a tap, you'd be like, whoa, plumbing. What does that do when we understand the history from where Joshua's character comes from? It means that Joshua has history with Moses. He has history 
with God and that history enables him to understand something of God's capacity. He understands it is Yahweh who saves. He understands something of the power of God that the generation that came after him could never fully appreciate. He understands the capacity and the power and the wonder of God. You know, in uh, Exodus 17, it was Joshua who commanded the army of Israel against the Amalekites. And it was Joshua who understood that Moses was sitting up on a mountain with her and Aaron holding up his arms. And when Moses' arms dropped, all of a sudden he started losing that battle. When the arms went up, all of a sudden he started winning that battle. Do you not think that if you have experienced that and walked through that and endured that, that there'd be something in your life that testifies to the greatness and the glory and the power of God? Something begins to be written upon his soul and his life that he says, it is not by might nor by power. It's not me. If it was me, my intellect and wit would have led to us winning this war. Not a dude with his hands in the air. It's clearly the Lord who saves. It's clearly the Lord who saves. He learns something, the history reveals something of the capacity of God and here's what that led to. It led to a life that understood it had to be sold out to God. It led to a life that understood that if I'm gonna lead these people, I don't have the capacity to lead these people. I can't do this on my own. No, God, you need to lead and I wanna be a willing vessel because you're the one with the power to do it, not me. And here's the second thing it leads to. It leads to a revelation of the purity of God. Because when you have sat with Moses and you've encountered all that Moses encountered, that's gonna do something to you. Are you with me? Like when we go to, um, when we go again to the book of Exodus in the 24th chapter, you'll see something. Let's, let's read that together because this, be, this will be important. Exodus 24, we'll read from verse 13. Actually, from verse 12. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here. And I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua. Everyone say, with Joshua. His aide, his servant, his disciple. And Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and her are with you and anyone involved in a dispute can go with them. And when Moses went up on the mountain, watch this, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain. And on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. 
Then Moses entered the cloud as he went up on the mountain and he stayed on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. Fast forward and go to chapter 32. Moses and Joshua are still on the mountain. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, come make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. The glory of the Lord is literally on the mountain. And they're like, ah, we're bored of that. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So that all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him, made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then he said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Go to verse 17. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said to Moses, there is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, it is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. Here's the thing that struck me. All of Israel worshipped a golden calf, except for Moses and one other guy, Joshua. Joshua was on the mountain when Israel was dancing before something they had crafted with their own hands. Joshua has learnt something of the purity and the power of God. Not only has he seen God work throughout history, but in this moment, he himself has heard the word of the Lord to Moses. He is a first-hand witness to the law. As Chinese whispers, when things get passed on and on and on, you can doubt, things can get confused. Joshua was with Moses and he literally heard the word of God. He was with Moses as the tablets were written, as they came down. He was with Moses when Moses burned with anger. Joshua had caught something of the holiness of God, yes? Unlike the rest of Israel, Joshua knew this this holy God, this pure God, this powerful God. And all of it is preparing him for the future that is to come, yeah? Yeah? He's caught something of the purity of God. And what does that lead to when you catch something of the purity of God, when you have sat with Him, when you've encountered His glory, when you know who He is and what He's done and you're like, wow, you are the one who saves. It leads to a life of piety. Everyone say piety. It means devotion. How do we see it? Again, go to the Scripture. Exodus 33 7 to 11. Now Moses used to make a tent and pitch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord could go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrance to their tents, watching Moses until he entered. As Moses went in, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Whenever the people saw the pillar of cloud at the entrance, they stood and worshipped each at the entrance to their own tent. 
the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend, then Moses would return to camp. Watch this. But his young aide, servant, disciple, minister, Joshua, son of Nun, did not leave the tent. You see, Israel from the beginning had kept God at a distance. So they weren't ready to lead. Joshua had been with Moses in the presence and was therefore ready to lead. And he was called out because he knew it wasn't about him, it was about the Lord. Joshua had caught something of who God is. He'd had a revelation of God's power. He'd had a revelation of God's purity. And so what he chose to do when everyone else stayed at their tent was not only go with Moses to the presence of God, but when Moses left, he's like, bro, I'm staying. When everyone left, he lingered. Why did he linger? Because his heart had been captivated by the glory of God and who God is. Not only, yeah, he's this awesome, powerful God and he had caught the fear of the Lord. He understood that this God is a reverent, powerful God who could consume me at any moment. And yet he's also merciful and tender and just and loving and kind. And because of this incredible collision of these two incredible attributes of God, I'm gonna stay right here, thank you very much. And this is why he is able to lead the way he leads. This is why God chooses him to be strong and courageous. This is why God sets this man apart and says, you are the one to take my people to the promised land. Not because he had great charisma, not because he was an expert swordsman, although I'm sure he was, not because he was a great strategist, although I'm sure he was. It was because he was a man who understood who God is and my place to sit in His presence. He chose to stay. He chose to linger. And friends, as we come to the book of Joshua, as we study this book, my prayer for each and every one of us is that we would catch the same revelation, that we would catch a revelation of His capacity, that we, as we study the history, would catch a revelation of who He is, His capacity, that we'd catch a revelation of His purity and His glory and His holiness, and we would be led to that life of piety, of devotion before Him. And there's nothing that I can do that will lead you to that place. It's Yahweh who saves. It's Yahweh who convicts. It's the Holy Spirit who will come and minister to us. But my prayer, Lord, is that you would do it. That you would convict us of the idols in our lives, that you would convict us of the things that we chase after, that you would convict us of a life that is lived out the front of our tent when the presence of God is right there drawing us to Himself. And that we would choose to be a people who linger in the presence. 
and see the power of God made manifest in our lives. It's through a life of lingering that Joshua was able to lead a nation across the river. It's through a life of lingering that Joshua was able to obey a voice that said, the best military strategy for bringing down the walls of Jericho is to silently walk around it for seven days. It's through a life of lingering that Joshua is able to make a hard call and say, when Achan sinned, no, no, sin has to be removed. We've got to be stepping out of this. Consecration has to come. It's a life of lingering that Joshua is able to pray, let the sun stand still. That we might see a great victory. It is not because of his ability, it is because Yahweh saves. And because he is a life as Moses, a God has taught him stuff. And he's living out of that revelation. May we live out of that revelation, church, as we address this book. Band, you can come up and we're gonna close. Choose this day who you will follow. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. John 15 verse 16, Jesus says this, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. In the same way that God chose Israel, in Christ, each and every one of us have been chosen by God. The call comes out, come follow me. I have come for you, Yeshua. But He still says, come follow me. It's an invitation. Choose this day. I've chosen you. What will you do? Christian life is a life that is lived in response to the work of God. It is not a work to gain God's favour. It is not a work in order to bring about our own victories. No, it is a life lived in response to what He has already done. And I have on my heart today to provide a space for us to draw a line in the sand, to choose this day. Him rightly, to see His holiness, to see His power, to see His glory, to see His might, see the one who split the sea, see all that He has done. And to choose to linger and to choose to dwell and to choose a life lived in devotion to Him. our day and age, I know in our world right now that sometimes it's hard. We can hear children crying and I've had it actually on my heart all week to speak to young families right now because I know it's hard. I've been there. We had three children under the age of three. I know it's hard but well done. Well done. You're choosing well. Amen. Those of you who've been there and done that, well done. 
I'll never forget sitting in a room with Craig and Kathy Schultz. Craig was the, the campus pastor at Allgate for a bit. When we first had young kids and we sat there and I said to him, what have you done? What did you do? Because his children were all walking with the Lord. What decisions did you make? How did you do it, Craig? How did you raise children who love Jesus? And he said, mate, there's not a whole lot I did. We prayed, we trusted God, but one thing we chose is we were in church with the people of God. We made a decision to prioritise the presence, even when we felt like we were getting nothing out of it. For year after year after year, we got nothing out of it, but we put a line in the sand and said, this is important because in doing this, my children are learning that this matters. This is a monument of remembrance that they would look back when they could make their own decisions and go, that mattered. And so it's gonna matter to me. Can I speak, can I encourage those of you in the room right now, come on. And those of you in the room who have been there and done that, can we just give them a round of applause and say, well done. You're doing well. You're doing well. Keep going. Don't give up, keep going. It's good fruit. It's good seed that's coming on the other side, amen? It's good fruit. You are bearing up a crown of righteousness, which will be laid at the feet of Christ. You are training them in the way they should go so that they will not depart from it. Keep going, keep running. It will be worth it. And a day will come when you can listen to a sermon without someone screaming in your ear or pulling your pants down. this day. It's a choice. Because let me tell you something. When you get up there and you say, do you know what? It's too hard right now. We'll come back to church when the kids are ready. You will never come back. But by a miracle of the grace of God, because you have not taught them that this is important. Choose this day. That's the first thing God dropped on my heart. Second thing, I actually just have on my heart, I feel to call out the men of this church and to say, I don't know why this is on my heart. I'm just being obedient. But I feel like God is saying the men of Hills Baptist Church, it is time to catch a revelation of the holiness of God and to choose a life of piety. Choose this day. The Bible says, if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's not actually saying, I don't want men here without hands on tomorrow, next week. But if there are things in your life that are causing you to not lead your family well, if you're a young person without a family here, if there are things in your life that are causing you not to come and dwell in the tent of God, but come and hide in your own tent. If there are some things, cut them off this week. We can pray and pray and pray. And do you know what God says? He goes, yep, I'm strengthening you to do something about it. Choose this day. My presence is with you. My strength is with you and for you, but you need to make a decision today to cut something off. Get someone around you. Get an accountability person, be honest with them, be vulnerable with them, 
And I know vulnerable is a word we don't like to hear, especially as men. Women love to talk about, let's be vulnerable together. Blokes are like, oh, let's just watch the footy together. But it's invulnerability when blokes begin to share heart to heart, begin to walk with each other and share struggles and be real that we begin to see transformation. And as Brian preached a while ago, when the male, when the men of the church begin to walk in transformation, holiness and piety, the church will follow. Choose this day. Choose this day. Make a decision. Choose life that you might live. Make a decision that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I don't think Joshua said that timidly. I don't think Joshua was up there and just being like, and for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I think he said that through gritted teeth. It's like Paul, he says, I beat my body and I make it a slave to sin. Not because he has to, in response to what God has already done and the empowering power of God, he's like, some stuff has to go and God will do the work in me. And that's the call to us to say, I'm gonna respond. Of all that you have done, the glory on the mountain, the glory of the tabernacle, the glory of the cross, the glory of the transformed people of God, the empowered people of God, the glory of the fire of the Holy Spirit at work in the church, bringing about reconciliation, transformation, renewal to the ends of the earth, the glory of His kingdom coming on earth that is in heaven. Because of all of that and His power that is alive in me, I will choose to cut some things off. And I will choose a life of devotion that lingers in the tent because I've learnt it from someone else and I've seen the fruit of their life. If Joshua wasn't Moses' aid, where would he have learned that lifestyle? Friends, we've gotta have someone who we look to and say, that's a life I need encouraging in. You can stand to your feet. I know you're cold, you've done beautifully. like there's other things that God wants to say to us this morning. They're the two that were on my heart all week as I was praying. I couldn't shake him. So I was like, all right, Lord, I'm saying it. I feel like there's more though. And I feel like some of you have got things on your heart that you need to share and you need to come forward and you just need prayer. You need encouragement. I would love to encourage you as we sing this song, come. If you need prayer, if you would like prayer, there's God is speaking to you and you just feel like, do you know what? I just need to come, come. Can we have some of our prayer team please come forward uh, to encourage the saints today, amen? To lay hands on, encourage, speak words of encouragement over your life. And that's what we're gonna do as we respond to the Word. Let's pray. Lord, You are a good God. We thank You for Your power. We thank You for Your might. We thank You for the promise that it's Yeshua who saves. Yahweh saves. Thank You for the promise in history. Thank You for demonstrating Your capacity. 
Thank you for revealing your purity and for calling us to a life of piety. Sow it in our spirits right now, Lord. Take your word and sow it in our spirits that you would lead us and we would respond and we would choose this day to follow you. We love you, we praise you, we worship you. In Jesus' name and all God's children said, Amen. Let's sing, let's respond and let's come and pray together. Thanks for listening to the Hills Baptist Podcast. If you'd like to partner with us in developing and equipping passionate disciples who love God, love people and boldly share the gospel, you can do that at hillsbaptist.com forward slash giving. We pray this message has empowered you to live and love more like Jesus. Have an amazing day.